from the from the very very beginning, there were three things that were critical and have become my mantra. One, am I acutely passionate about it? Do I wake up in the morning and I hunger for more? Is it purposeful? Is it strategic? Is it going to go somewhere? And the third, will it have impact and will I have impact? Hi, everyone. Welcome to No Limits. I'm your host, Rebecca Jarvis. If you are a frequent listener here, thank you. We appreciate your loyalty. And if you're new, welcome. Each week, we work here to demystify success. I know it's a weird word, doesn't mean everything to everyone, but the idea is happiness in the work that you do in your life. And we go about finding that by speaking to the world's most influential women across all different industries. And the conversations go beyond the resume. From decision-making to trade-offs to those pivotal moments that shape your careers and your lives. So whether you're looking for advice or you just want to hear a good story, you've come to the right place. All right, today's guest who's with us is the president and CEO of WW formerly Weight Watcher. She rebranded the name in 2018. She has 38 years of experience building and transforming consumer brands. She was previously the CEO of HSN, where she reinvented and relaunched the brand, took the company public, and oversaw its multi-billion dollar retail portfolio and multimedia expansion. And she also had executive roles inside of Tommy Hilfiger, Ralph Lauren, and Nike. Last year, Time Magazine named her one of the 50 most influential people in healthcare. Mindy, I have been pursuing you doggedly for No Limits for such a long time, and it's great to have you here with us, Mindy Grossman. I'm thrilled to be here. I'm a big fan. Yay. Likewise. Um, There's a lot to get into here, and I think of you, I think of what you've done throughout your career, and the word that comes to mind is transformer. You're a transformer. People bring you in when when they desire transformation. Well, I love transformation, and I'm a big believer that risk-taking and boldness are the essence of transformation, but the rewards of doing something where you're reinventing or accelerating growth um, in terms of being able to change the landscape and have impact, and part of it for me is from from the very, very beginning, there were three things that were critical and have become my mantra. One, am I acutely passionate about it? Do I wake up in the morning and I hunger for more? Is it purposeful? Is it strategic? Is it going to go somewhere? And the third, will it have impact and will I have impact? And I felt that way in my first job and certainly today, having the opportunity to have a platform that I do Um, How can I impact people's lives? How can I speak on diversity? How can I support and help and use that platform in a significant way? And I think the other thing with transformation that I find is too many people see what's right in front of them. They don't sit back with Mm. a distinct curiosity to say, what could it be? Yeah. And I love the idea of what could it be Yes, and how to rethink what it is. So whether that was the HSM business or the WW business or 
rethinking categories of the menswear business early in my career, that to me is exciting. And that to me also can get other people excited Mm -hmm. and can energize a culture because everybody's aligning around what the future could be. I want to come back in a minute to that idea of transformation and bringing people along with you because you talk about the excitement. There's obviously inside of cultures. We've always done it this way. There's always going to be people like that. So I want to come back to that in a minute. Um, But when we look back on you and your history, I read that you wanted to become an attorney, but you had an epiphany. Yes. You know, my my whole life has been an interesting journey in and of itself. Um, I was adopted when I was three days old. Um, My parents had tried for 12 years to have a child and couldn't and couldn't afford to adopt. And my father's boss, my father worked nights in the produce business, one night came in and handed my dad a check to adopt a child and I'm the child. And from the very beginning, I felt a responsibility that I had been given something, I call it the gift, and what am I going to do with it? I call myself the accidental CEO. I didn't even know what a CEO was. So, you know, growing up in, you know, my family, you became a professional, and a professional was a doctor, a lawyer, or an accountant. And I didn't want to be a doctor. I didn't want to be an accountant. So I said, okay, I'm going to be a lawyer. And (laughs) I was- Process of elimination. Process of elimination. And I was very, very serious Um, growing up. I finished- Mm. High school as a junior, went right into school, actually got engaged to get married when I was 19. And that whole life was in front of me. And in my last semester, senior year, I had, you mentioned, the epiphany. I'm sure I was thinking about it a little bit more than one morning, but I said, this isn't my life. Um, And if I don't do something now, Mm. it's going to be a lot harder to correct it later. And I might as well take the risk when I'm young. Totally. And I called my parents, imagine that phone call, and said, I have something to tell you. Um, I'm breaking my engagement. I'm not getting married. I'm not going to law school. And I'm going to move to New York. And that's what I did. What did they say? There was silence at the end of the phone. My, My parents were terrific, but they thought it was something I would get over. Mm. So I'll never forget, they had moved to Florida while I was in college. And so I'd flown down there. So when I got to the airport to fly to New York, my mom said, you'll be back in six months. And she didn't mean it with any avarice or anything like that. But I was like, no, I won't. And I moved to New York and said, all right, if I'm not going to be a lawyer, what are the things that really fulfill me and I'm passionate about. And you didn't have a job when you moved here? No. I had. Uh, I got off the plane. I had saved up over the course of all those years $5,000 and moved to New York in 1977. And I'll, I'll never forget, you know, my apartment was like <laughs> 300, and, 300 square feet for $330 a month. Welcome so said, to the dream. Exactly. With bars on the window because it was on a low <laughs> floor. But I I was excited and I said, but what I want is I want to be in a creative industry. Um, I may not be the creator, but I'd like to be in the business where I can make creativity uh, profitable. Mm -hmm. And I started interviewing in two different areas in the fashion industry and in the media industry, interestingly enough. And I was offered a job working as the 
executive assistant to the president of an international division of a menswear portfolio company. And I laughed to this day because I was interviewing and he was asking me all these questions. And the last question was, do you take shorthand? I said, no, but I take fast longhand. (laughs) And I actually think that got me the job because I was thinking on my feet creatively. Um, And, you know, I say this all the time that. that I think too many people and I think I think women even more than men they feel they have to be perfect yeah to put themselves forth in the role and there's no such thing it's progress not perfection and yep. I always say I have never been fully prepared for any role I've ever taken and I think that's been a good thing mm-hmm. um, because I have to learn and I have to be curious but I can take the wealth of information and experience that I've had over the course of my career and apply it in a different way. And I don't overthink everything. Mm -hmm. And it makes me more open. And you made the point earlier, too many people get stuck. And particularly in today's environment, not moving forward is an anathema to success. You constantly have to be iterating and innovating and rethinking and questioning. And I, I think that's a really positive thing. I totally agree with that idea. I sometimes wrestle with the, there's some tension in my mind about paying your dues and sort of learning the ropes versus getting to where you want to ultimately go. Given that you're there now, how do you think about that? And how do you coach, particularly young women, about finding those moments that it's appropriate to propel yourself forward, but also... And, and maybe you disagree with this, but also having some of the background to back it up in in not not suggesting you wait around too long for that. Right. But there seems to be a balance in my well, mind. Well, I think there has to be a balance. I think whatever role that you feel you want to go into, I think you have to determine what are the table stakes capabilities for going into that role what value can you add? Yes. And then what would you have to learn? Mm-hmm. And so what I tell particularly uh, young women or my younger self is if you focus on making others successful mm. and thinking less about yourself in the process, you will become more successful and the company will be more successful. And it's just a philosophy that I've held my entire life. I've also said that even at a young age and even in early stage of your role, you have to think like the CEO. And what I mean by that is you have to think of those things that are going to benefit the company the most. And, you know, there have been times where I've made proposals, whether they be organization proposals or business proposals, that could actually have eliminated my role. But I feel that if you do that, people are going to respect you more and they will look at you different and you will actually get the bigger roles Mm -hmm. because you're thinking of the whole. And I say this all the time. I also say that when you do have to make a change, you know, I am hugely passionate about positive culture and about investing in people Um, and about trying to make them successful. But there have been times in my career that I I have to make the people change. And 
you know, it's not easy. And I'm friends with people that I've had to make a change with. And I believe that you never let anyone walk out of a room diminish, but you're honest and you're fair. And the reason I say that is if a change has to be made and if somebody's doing the right role, you're not the only one who's noticed. And you have to do what's right for the entire organization and for the business. You just have to do it in a very respectful manner. How do you do that? So I believe that no one should ever be surprised. I think you have to have honest dialogue and communication. And a lot of people have a hard time with that. But at the Mm -hmm. end of the day, you're not doing yourself a service. You're not doing the individual a service because sometimes people are just in the wrong role. They may have great talents, right? And it should never be easy. Nobody should not take affecting somebody else's life or career, not seriously. Yeah. But at the end of the day, you are doing the right thing for everyone by having the honest conversation. I can tell you're a very direct person, which I have so much respect for. Were you always that way? You know, I I really try and put myself in the other seat. And what would I want someone to tell me? And you know, two two things happened very early in my career. And I worked for somebody who was very comfortable giving feedback. And I was very young to be a sales manager of a business. And I had made a presentation in front of a room of people. And I walked out and said, I nailed that presentation. And my boss at the time said, Mindy, that was a good presentation. But it could have been a great presentation. And I said, well, tell me. And he said, for every time you said I, if you had said we, the dynamic would have changed. That's why I've always appreciated feedback Mm -hmm. um, because you can process that and use that. And it doesn't mean you never say I, but it was the context of team and leadership that really came through. And I think one of the most powerful weapons positive weapons we can have in business is acute self-awareness. Yes. And I've had the same coach for 18 years. And I believe that every single day I can better myself, but I can't better myself if I'm not aware of my behavior and the implications on others. And I and you have to work at it. Mm-hmm. You have to understand what your foibles are, what your strengths are, what your weaknesses are. So for example, I'm not known to be the most patient human being (laughs) in the landscape, right? And that could be a positive and it could be a negative. And where it could be a negative is if you don't give people the runway or if you push for something too hard and you don't do all the work to understand the implications once the ramifications of that go down through the organization, You have to understand capacity. And so I am very honest with people that work for me. I'm very comfortable sharing my strengths and sharing my weaknesses um, and saying, this is how I manage it. And this is the best way to work with me. And the gentleman, David Dotluck, who's been my coach, I started working with him when I was at Nike. I brought him in to work with the team when I made the move to HSNI. And then I've brought him in to work with the team at WW. And 
really creating the synergy behind that executive leadership team and how we work together and how we present ourselves as a cohesive whole and how we balance each other and how we celebrate the diversity only makes the company better. So you joined Weight Watchers, it was at the time, in 2017, yeah? And you talked at the top of this conversation about the things that draw you to companies. So I assume that's a lot of what drew you in. Did you have a game plan going in for what you thought the business would be? Or was that something that evolved after seeing it from the inside? It was a combination of both. You know, I had spent uh, almost 11 years, 10 and a half years at my last organization, two years when it was owned by IAC, by Barry Diller. And then I took the company public in 2008. Um, And, you know, the last couple of years that I was there... We were doing a lot of research into changes in consumer behavior around what were people going to really want. You know, nobody wants to be sold. What inherently were people's needs and how were they changing? And technology was changing a lot of things and how people wanted to live their life uh, was changing. And I actually started speaking around the world I spoke in Dubai, I spoke in Vegas, I spoke at conferences on the brands of the future, the successful brands of the future were ones that were going to have to marry technology plus meaning to help people live better lives. It didn't matter if you were selling something, if you were delivering something, what what was that going to mean? And we started creating programming around living your best life. And I started spending a lot of time in the health and wellness area and the technology area. And from afar, I was watching what was happening at Weight Watchers, Um, you know, Oprah becoming part of the company, but very much because the company started talking about being more than just the best weight loss, most efficacious program on the planet, but how could they help people sustainably live better lives? And the funny story is, so October 2015, I saw that on CNBC. And honestly, never thinking I'd be part of the company, um, I told my husband to buy, he's a trader. I said, we should buy some stock. And we did. Because of Oprah. You know, it was a combination. It was a combination of, because I've always had huge respect for her and My feeling is that she sees something there that's very powerful, but it was really also the statement, we want to be a more holistic partner to people in health and wellness. And two years later, um, when I started actually speaking with the company, um, or a little over a year later, excuse me, um, you know, I was at a point where we were putting a CEO in, I was going to potentially transition to chairman. And I knew, I said, I'm not retiring, right? But if I'm if I'm going to do something else, I, I really want it not just to have a financial return on equity. I want to have a human return on equity. And um, I really started thinking about that. And I started looking at the, at the company and I started speaking with the board and I had gone out to California and spent a day with Oprah because I really wanted to understand what she saw and I started doing a huge amount of due diligence. And truth be known, my first Weight Watchers meeting, I was 14 years old on Long Island. So I certainly was familiar with the brand. But sadly, I also had a mother that was 
not focused on being healthy. She had a first heart attack at 50. Um, and it impacted her ability to do things with us as a family. And after I had my daughter, it impacted her ability to go out and play and travel. And I said, I never want that to happen to my family. And I want to live my healthiest uh, life. And this brand has a 56-year-old legacy of transforming people's lives, not just helping them lose weight, but helping them reassess who they are, what they want to be, and how they want to live. And I said, if I can help the business move forward and give people the tools and be people's partners in living a healthier life and be able to help that many more people, I will have delivered both that financial and that human return on equity. You know, I tell people all the time, I recently taught a module at Yale Executive Education. So it's C-suite executives from around the world. And the theme was the CEO's perspective on business transformation. And the first thing I opened with is let's talk about the word transformation because I think it's one of the most overused words in business today. <laughs> okay, I take it wall. back. I didn't call you a transformer. No, I want to be a tra- I am. But let's define what it really is. And it's yeah. large-scale change to create significant growth and impact, mm-hmm. right, or reevaluation. The second thing I said, if you want to be that individual or that transformer, there's a few things you have to make sure you have. Number one, you have to make sure you have alignment and support of your board because it's not going to be an easy journey. Especially as a public company. Correct. It's not going to be linear. You're going to have highs and you're going to have lows to get to the ultimate path. The second thing is you have to have investment dollars reasonably to be able to affect transformation. You have to have an energized and aligned culture against the strategy that is ingrained in people's belief. And the fourth thing is you have to have resilience. Mm -hmm. And I had a slide up on the wall that over the course of my career, on the left side was all of these articles on how brilliant I was. And on the right side were all these articles, (laughs) kind of what am I doing, (laughs) right? And you have to be able to have resolute belief. In fact, if you have the support of the board and you have the KPIs and milestones that are telling you that you ultimately are on the right path. Um, Because if you only think of the moment, you might not make the wrong decisions. Now, there's nobody more than me that wants to deliver on expectations, right? But sometimes you have to course correct. Sometimes it's not going to be linear. You have to be transparent. You have to be able to articulate what it is you need to do. Um, And you have to have a forward focus. You know, when I took HSNI public in August 2008, it was three weeks before the world fell apart. We were one of the last IPOs. We couldn't get coverage. Uh, People were afraid we were going to break our debt covenants. Our stock came out at about 10 and change. By December of that year, it was at $1.12, and our market cap was smaller than our receivable balance. And actually, our business had momentum. But it was the external atmosphere. And I remember having the support of the board 
because I said, this is an opportunity for us to prove the resiliency of our business model. And we have to be offense and lean in and we have to be prudent, but we have to continue these investments because if we do, we will come out of this as the strongest company. And when I look at the companies that went through that period, I believe the ones who leaned in yes. and were offensive versus defensive are the ones that came out stronger. It's like the Warren Buffett idea of everyone's running for the exits. That's your time to move in. And when everybody else is moving in, better to sit on the sidelines. I believe that wholeheartedly. I wonder if you ever second guess yourself. For example, when you read those articles that... The, the very minute category of articles that are second guessing what you're doing and suggesting you're on the right, wrong path. How do you think about that? So I have a philosophy. And uh, when I was growing up as a, as a kid and as a teenager, my mother had this expression. It's a Yiddish expression that everything in life is beshared. Yes. Which beshared. means it's meant to be. Yep. And whether a boyfriend broke up with me or something good happened or I did well on a test, it was all beshared. <laughs> and I kind of have that philosophy, right, that if I focus on looking backwards, it's not going to help me move forward. Now, that does not mean that you don't make mistakes and you really need to analyze them and say, what motivated me to do that? What could I have done uh what can I learn from it so I don't do it in the future? I think that's healthy. But you you can't spend your time just looking backwards. And the other thing I tell people is there's a difference between risk and suicide. And <laughs> when you are taking risks and you're, you know, people are betting on you when you're taking those risks, you really need to have it be as well thought out as possible. But you have to be immediately honest with yourself if something isn't working, you can't pretend it's going to be better. And you're better off reacting, admitting that you have to make a change, and quickly course correcting. Your focus on transparency, on honesty, I find that really admirable. That's the kind of people I want to work with and for. In this moment in time, that full transparency um, can get people in trouble. Being too honest in what you think is a small circle of people, all of a sudden it can be completely manipulated. It can be misunderstood. How do you think about that and the importance of that to being a good leader in this moment in time? Hear more from Mindy Grossman after a word from our sponsor. Hey, I'm Andy Mitchell, a New York Times bestselling author. And I'm Sabrina Kohlberg, a morning television producer. We're moms of toddlers and best friends of 20 years. And we both love to talk about being parents, yes, but also pop culture. So we're combining our two interests by talking to celebrities, writers, and fellow scholars of TV and movies. Cinema, really. About what we all can learn from the fictional moms we love to watch. From ABC Audio and Good Morning America, Pop Culture Moms is out now wherever you listen to podcasts. How do you think about that and the importance of that to being a good leader in this moment in time? You know, I think the benefits of transparency and being who you are and saying the truth. And I'm not talking about 
being overtly controversial or incendiary. That's not what I'm talking about, is just being, whether it's about my life or whether it's about the business, I think the upside of that is greater than the potential downside. And it's not, if you're in a world today and you have made the decision to be a public company CEO, there's a reason it's called public. Um, you have to represent yourself in a certain way. You have a lot of stakeholders to take into consideration. Um, and as simple as it may sound, I believe that everything I do, I act with best intent. Now, could it be misconstrued or could you know, somebody take it the wrong way? But I believe if you, if you act with best intent, that's the best you could do. I, I respect that. I, I try and do the same thing in my life. There's so many stakeholders and you're answering to all of the different stakeholders, whether they're your customer, the shareholder, Oprah. <laughs> um, how do you, in a, in a business that is about wellness and about the individual's wellness, how do you think about that from your standpoint as this ambassador of the brand? Because you you own a lot of responsibility. And I would imagine that you, let's say you gain 10 pounds um, because you weren't you know, paying attention. How does that strike you? Like, does that work? Well, actually, that's life. And what I love about WW and our brand, we accept life. And, you know, Gene Neidich, who was the founder, who um, we've been doing a lot of actually research on, and I've listened to a lot of her. And if you come into our offices, you know, we have verbiage you know, going down the staircase that says progress, not perfection. Mm -hmm. Life is not perfect. Life is messy and things happen. And there's no apologies needed. Um, you know, my feeling is I have to put myself into our members' shoes. And I'm a member myself. And we have crazy weeks. And we have weeks we don't have time to work out or – you know, you, you, you have loss and you're dealing with loss um, or you're having happy moments. I think the beauty of what we provide people is the sustainable way to lead a healthy life and develop healthy habits that you can take with you through every part of your journey. And a journey has ups and downs. What we're trying to give people are the tools so that they can get back on track and that there is no guilt and it's okay to have recidivism or whatever, whatever it is <laughs> with food because it's not it's not a before and after. Yeah. We don't even use those words anymore. Yeah. Life is a journey. And, you know, when you look at the, the, the people we're looking to support and help. There are different life journeys. So my daughter, who just had her second baby, what she needs in support and tools and community for her stage of her life is different than mine. And so how can we personalize and be relevant to people and bring community together to help inspire and support at every step of the journey? And 
The, the thing that we bring is not only the programmatic capability around nutrition and fitness and mindset, but we bring community together from the first day that Jean Grog group of people together in her living room. And I'm going to go back to the original question you asked me. Did I have a sense before I came in? You know, what I did before I joined the company is I wrote a four-page, I called a manifesto, of what I saw, what I thought, where I thought the company could go, what, what elements were going to be really important, and I sent it to them. And I said, this is what I see. This is what I believe. Of course, I'm going to go in there and do the due diligence and do the deep dives. Um, but if this is a shared vision for mm-hmm. what you think our brand could be, I want to be there. If not, it's okay. And I have a fantastic board of directors um, who've been supportive and challenged, which is a right thing to do. I'm a board member of other companies as well. But I came into the company and I spent a month doing some very significant, almost round-the-clock deep dives in every area of the business. Um, And the first thing we said we need to do if we're going to achieve this long-term vision is we need to reset our purpose, our vision, our mission, our strategy. Um, And, you know, what do we want the impact to be? And when we came out with We inspire healthy habits for real life, for people, for families, communities, the world, for everyone, and own democratization of wellness and own being people's partners. It was a bold statement. Um, And there was a lot of change that we had to go through as a company. And we created something called a purpose filter. And it's something I've really learned from Oprah in the time that I've had to spend with her. She is so discerning in what she will, but more important, what she won't do. And I think we all need our own purpose filter. But as a brand and a company, what are those things that we have to ask ourselves before we make a decision, before we create a partnership, before we hire that person? And does it fit the purpose filter? And that's very individual. Not every company is going to have the same purpose filter. But we have to think about that every day. I'm a friend of Gail King's. She and I used to work together at CBS News. She is such an amazing woman. (laughs) She is an amazing woman. And I love the post that she does on Instagram of her own journey. And she actually posting her own scale um, before and after vacations and things like that. How involved is Oprah in your day-to-day? Are you guys talking a lot about what's happening in that purpose filter? Did the two of you sit down and sketch that out together? You know, she has been such an incredible support. She has given me a great deal of accessibility. And I've I've literally texted and said, I'm running through something in my mind can I run it by you just to get a gut perspective? And she's been there. She is not a yes person, and that's not what you want. You want the honest dialogue that helps you think things through. And I always say, who wouldn't want Oprah as a board member? I mean, yep. I'm very, very fortunate, especially how engaged she is. And we recently announced that WW is partnering with Oprah on a significant U.S. tour around helping people live their healthiest, best life. Uh, Nine cities, nine arenas. 
Um, and she has a real desire to give people and unlock their ability to truly live the best life they can. And that's incredibly inspiring. And we could not be more excited, obviously, to have her as a partner and her team, uh, our team that's working on this. We want this to certainly be an incredible opportunity with Oprah, but we want to activate community and we want to create opportunities for people to come together to learn, to inspire, to do self-reflection and come out really being able to achieve their why. And that's what we ask. We don't tell people what they should weigh. We don't tell people what healthy means to them. We say, what does healthy mean to you and what's your why? Um, And sometimes your why is I'm getting married and I want to look great for my wedding day. And sometimes your why is I want to be a better parent to my children and I want to set a better example. And sometimes my why is if I do not do something, it's going to affect my life. And so those very powerful statements. And so if I, if our organization, certainly Oprah's uh, vision, if we can help do that, it's very powerful. What's been the biggest challenge for you along the way, the whole career? I would say when you are going to transform something, not everybody's going to get it right away. They're going to question why you did that. They're going to say you're not going to be successful because they don't see what you see. And you've got to take away the blockers. You have to take away the people who, in my mind, are going to only surround you with toxicity. And it, again, you don't want everyone around you just saying, oh, yes, I'm going to do what you want to do. You want the voices at the table, but you want to be around people that have that shared vision And you realize that not everybody is going to get there. And I remember when I left Nike to join Barry Diller at IAC to take over IAC Retail, which was really driven by HSN. You know, I ran the global apparel business at Nike. It was a significant multi-billion dollar business. I started their first Women's Leadership Council. I was traveling around the world. I worked on Olympics. I was with athletes. You are the cool kid when you work there. And everybody wants to be your friend. Where you really find out who those partners are and who are those people who truly have an authentic relationship with you is when you do something not expected, like take over a business that nobody understood. And there were a lot of people who thought I had had a midlife crisis. You're going from Nike and you're taking over this business and it's failing, it's not doing well. But I saw something. I said, no, technology is changing. Mobility is changing. Content absorption is changing. And people are going to want experiences. So if we could transform the network to be more like Food Network, HGTV, DIY style, but you can get the product, that's a whole new way of thinking about editorial programmed entertaining commerce. That's what I saw. But in order for me to achieve that, people had to come on board. 
the fashion industry, the beauty industry, the electronics industry, and not everybody was respectful. And I said, it's okay if you don't feel you're ready or we ready for you to come on board, but don't be disrespectful. And you learn a lot. You really learn a lot, and you you really learn who those authentic people are. And I was very fortunate that my career was about building authentic relationships and working hard to deliver on those and making other people successful. And I was able to launch the fashion business because Stephanie Greenfield, who started the chain of store Scoop, believed in me and was willing to take the risk and got all the fashion brands to do Scoop style shows. I was able to do a partnership with Sephora and, you know, bring on 40 beauty brands. I was able to bring on chefs. I mean, we had Wolfgang Puck, but Emeril Lagasse, Todd, et cetera, because of the authenticity of my relationships and my reputation and people were willing to take a risk with me. I would never have been able to do what I did at HSNI or do what I'm doing at WW if people didn't believe what it was we could accomplish and believe that partnering was going to be beneficial to both. I hear you on that. So worst advice, the worst advice you've received but didn't take. Never leave a job before you have another job. When did you hear that? So I was working for Chaps Ralph Lauren and I was running the menswear business for a portfolio company of multi-brands. And I'd gone in and I'd completely turned the business around and took it from $26 million to $250 million in three years, created a new category of menswear called Main Floor Collections that didn't exist. Uh, I'd been promoted to take over all the men's businesses. I was doing well financially, career-wise, but I could not tolerate the culture of the company it was a culture of fear. And just because I was not being treated certain way by the CEO, I saw how other people were treated. And I said, I cannot work here because the fact is that if I'm here, I am almost complicit because I'm tolerating that behavior. And I was talking to somebody I actually respected very much. And they said, no, 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 it's not going to be good for your career. You can't leave a job without having another job. And I said, but I'm working 24 hours a day. I can't. I'm not. You know, I have a young child. Nope, you can't. Did I, you take that seriously even for a minute? That Because you said this is a person you trusted who you were going to essentially for the advice. Well, I certainly thought about it. And then what I came to was that my values and myself as a leader and as a person are more important than any kind of self-interest. And I went home that night, and my husband, who's used to my craziness, he, he, I said, I'm resigning tomorrow. I don't have another job, but I know it's going to be okay. And I had a young child at the time. I had to work. And I went in the next morning, and I resigned. And the CEO uh, said to me, who happened to be a woman, uh, you either have another job, you're independently wealthy, or you're stupid. And I see it or D, none of the above. 
And later that afternoon, I was escorted out by security <laughs> and uh, standing on Park Avenue. But I went home that night, and I just knew I did the right thing. It was like cathartic because I just knew that a culture of fear is not going to attract the best people. And at some point, people were going to know, and they would be, if you're there, you're a part of it. And the next day, Ralph Lauren and Peter Strom, his partner at the time, called me and said, look, we are really sorry you left. You did an unbelievable job in the business. But if you're going to go anywhere, we'd like you to be with us. And we'll create a position for you as vice president of new business development. And we want you to come in and look at other businesses that perhaps we could launch. And I said, absolutely. And I made the decision to go there. I spent a year working on a number of things, but I did the business plan and did the license agreement for Polo Jeans Company. And they asked me to go be a startup CEO at the company. And I did. And it dramatically accelerated my career. We took the company from zero to $450 million in four years. We were going to go public. It got acquired by Jones New York. I stayed for a year and then got a phone call from a gentleman named Phil Knight and um, Over at Nike. had the opportunity to go to Nike. But if I had not made that decision... I feel that it would have been a bigger risk for me to stay than taking the risk to do the right thing and really live my values. And it set a tone and got people to really understand me that much better. Um, and I tell people this all the time. You, you really have to live your values. And the company you choose to work for it's really important that you understand the culture, you understand the values, and you understand the leadership because it will have an impact both positively and negatively on you. Integrity takes a long time to build. It really does. And it can be over in a minute on one decision. Mindy Grossman, I am so thankful to you for spending your time with us here at No Limits. Thank you for joining us. Well, I love this, but I knew I would. Okay, it is the end of the interview, and that means it's time for our No Limits Entrepreneur of the Week, where we feature one of you, our No Limits listeners, who's building something of your own. And this week's entrepreneur is Dr. Iman Abouzid, and she is the CEO and co-founder of Incredible Health. It's the fastest-growing hiring platform for healthcare in the country. They serve hospitals, health systems, and nurses, and she was nominated by Kathy Gonzalez. Here's Dr. Abouzid to tell you more. My name is Iman Abouzaid, and I'm the CEO of Incredible Health, the fastest-growing hiring platform for nurses in the U.S. today. The biggest challenge I've had is starting this company. Uh, I think when I wanted to dive into entrepreneurship, I needed all of the stars to align. Uh, first, needed to have a fantastic uh, technical co-founder, which I do now. Uh, I needed to have an idea and a mission of helping healthcare professionals live better lives that can be a standalone market, category defining market leading company. And uh, in the early days had to just rely on my savings uh, before we raised external capital. Uh, very excited that all three of those things have come together and we're able to make an impact on both uh, hospitals and nurses in the US today. 
thank you for sharing that with us, Dr. Abuzid. And thanks to all of you for listening. Kathy, thank you for the great nomination. Remember, if you want more information, you can head on over to my Instagram at Rebecca Jarvis to hear more. Also, if you or someone you know should be featured here as the No Limits Entrepreneur of the Week, you can send me those nominations at nolimitswithrjpodcast at gmail.com. Feel free to send me career questions there as well. Really appreciate you who take the time to do this. And finally, a shout out to the team who helps make this happen each week. My producer, Taylor Dunn, editor, Brittany Martinez, research assistant, Lane Wynn. Thank you, ABC Audio, and we'll see all of you here next week.